if you have questions, actually, uh, we probably will have time uh, today to uh, have questions at the end, too. But if you have questions throughout, please feel free uh, to ask questions. Uh, we are going through the book of John, and we're doing something so funny. This is, just, this is where I praise God for, for this body. So basically, we had, I'm trying to remember how it was. So we did, chap- we did chapter 12. We were in the beginning of chapter 12. And then, I think we've had Easter since then. We did chapter 13. We had a prayer and praise confession service. And so, but we never finished chapter 12. So, so, um, so now we're jumping. We're, we're, so we're on, we're on 13. We did a portion of 13. And actually we're going to jump back to chapter 12 and finish the end of chapter 12, okay? Uh, which we haven't been in in four weeks. So, so, uh, praise the Lord, hallelujah. And hopefully, We'll still be encouraged to still God's word and change. Um, but we just want to make sure we're not, we're not, you know, glossing over different aspects of the scripture, but that we are, we are flowing. And yeah, so basically, if you remember, so I'm going to give a, 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 brief, a brief recap. Uh, if, you, if you have questions, please feel free. If you look at right now, uh, Leon is passing out Bibles. And so uh, that'll be probably good for you to have a Bible. What we'll be studying uh, basically, the second half was uh, verses 37 until the end, which was uh, verse 50. And that day, we we had gotten all the way to uh, around verse. We're in verses 44. Um, and so, what I what I want to do is I'm going to actually read this this little part of the passage and then uh, catch us up, and then we'll move forward. Okay. So actually, I'll start. I'll start at verse 44. It says, uh, Then Jesus cried out. Is everyone ready? Let me make sure everyone's, everyone's okay. Then Jesus cried out, uh, When a man believes in me, he does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. Now, what, what Jesus is doing here, uh, back, back when we were looking at this, uh, this was probably this was sort of the ending of his of his public ministry, and this was sort of the last hurrah. He was he was giving his last like, hey guys, I'm really wanting you to understand what I've been talking to you for the last 12, 11, 12 chapters, okay? And and it seems like it's like an exhortation, but as you read the text, it looks like more of a cry. Um, it's almost like I really want want you to get this, and so that's what's happening. Um, verses 44 uh, through 50. Now, right before that, uh, we, have, we, we had already decided because they had said in verse, I'm going to read verse 42 and 43 just to catch us up. It says, um, yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him. It was talking about these leaders believing in him. But then it says, but because of the Pharisees, they would not confess their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. So the people who, who supposedly believed in him wouldn't confess their faith because they, for fear of being put out of the synagogue. And then it says in verse 43, for they love praise from men more than praise from God. And then remember we had the little uh, excerpt where we were saying, so what does that mean? And, and, I, and I've clearly landed, and I think, I think, I'm pretty, I think it's a pretty convincing argument uh, that grammatically many, some scholars would say that the people he's talking about here, um, the people who didn't believe were, are, um, are, were, the, were the Pharisees who would put them out. But actually, grammatically, that doesn't make any sense. It seems like the people he's talking about, um, who love the praise of man more than from God, more than God, are the people who he said would believe in him. 
So it seems, verse 42, the people who, who, who supposedly believed in him are the same ones who did not confess their faith and who loved the praise from men more than God. And so the question that, we, that it begs is to say, so were they believers? And I would suggest to you that they weren't believers. Uh, this, this, is that, this is how, this is what makes us like squirm in our seats, is that we're getting an example here of people who profess and they see things that Jesus do, and they actually assent to the facts of them. And they go, wow, that's cool. But then when all the chips are down, uh, their faith reveals itself. And so when he says believed, we automatically take that. And this is because uh, back then, four weeks ago, I was really trying to study and just become convinced, like, what was my conviction as I looked at the text? And it seems that my, my conviction, which uh, seems to go right in line with biblical theology right here, is that what we do is we take our, our 20th century uh, prep, prep, presupposition and then we say, well, when I hear the word believe, I automatically think believer, whereas it seems that in Scripture that is not necessarily the case. That when he says here that they believed, it's almost, it's, it seems that you have to look at that in the context of the passage. And that, remember, a word is never just defined in a vacuum. A word is defined also by context. So when he says believe, but then he gives you all the fruit of unbelief, it seems like what we thought believe was is different in this passage. Right? So, so, so grammatically, I would say um, that he's saying here that these people, they, they, they professed with their mouth. They saw the things he did, and it was really cool, but when it all came down to it, uh, they love the praise of men more than from God, which obviously we see parables of the, of the sower where uh, one plant is choked by the worries of the world and riches and things of that sort. And so it goes right in line with what the Bible has already taught. So just giving you just painting a picture of what, what we were talking about before we had to close off. We move down. And if there's any questions about that, please uh, raise your hand or, or feel free. We move down and he says, then Jesus cried out. Well, when a man believes in me, he does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. When he looks at me, he sees uh, the one who sent me. So, so verse 44, we started, we, I said that there's this SAT that Jesus is giving. So we have that excerpt. We have uh, these guys who sort of love the praise of man more than from God. And then what Jesus does is it seems like in this passage, to make it sort of palatable for us, it seems that the Bible almost gives us a little mini SAT. Right. We've had all this teaching on certain themes in scripture, uh, certain themes that we see all throughout uh, the gospel here. And so what he does in these in these following verses, uh, it seems that from verse 44 to 50, what Jesus is doing, he's saying, I'm going to test you on some of these major themes and see if you can, if you understand these themes. In fact, what I thought about doing, I should maybe I should have done it. I was going to have a piece of paper for everybody and I was going to ask the themes and then have you write. Um, what you've learned uh, during our time here. Now, I'm not going to do that because I want to make sure y'all came back. But, no, I should have done it. I don't know. I'm not scared. I, I should have done it. But, but the thing is, I want, what I want you to do is take a mental picture. In your heart, ask yourself, like, what do I think about some of these themes? Like, how would I answer if someone was to sit next to me in a Tim Hortons or a Starbucks or something and say, uh, the theme that we talked about the, the time before, you know, four weeks ago, we were able to talk about faith. Remember that? And, and one of the main things we wanted to talk about is that the Bible's teaching, specifically in the Gospel of John, uh, is that there's no, there's no dichotomy. There's no such thing as salvation and lordship salvation. Remember we talked about that? 
We said there's no dichotomy. That, you, that Jesus can't be your Savior but not be your Lord. He can't pay for your sin, right, and give you true life and, and have eternal bliss and be with him in eternal life, but yet can't be your, but he's not your king. That that's not, that's not biblical belief. I mean, we can, you know, we can, we can propose that belief, but I would say you're deceived. I would say Satan is trying to fool you so that you can spend the rest of your life having a false faith and then have to have this wake-up call when you're standing before the king himself. And then he says, oh, but you, I never knew you. Depart from me. Your work was of iniquity, is what the Bible says. So, so, that's, so that was the first one was faith. Like what does, so in your mind, ask yourself. So if someone's to say, tell me biblical faith, Chris. Talk to me about biblical faith. Like, what would you say? Talk to me from John. Like, what, what has the Lord taught, taught you about biblical faith? Okay, so that was the first question in the SAT that Jesus gives. And he does that in verse 44. You see that? He says, um, says Jesus Christ, when a man believes in me, he does not believe in me only, but in the one who's, uh, who sent me. And then he gives uh, a next piece. It says, when he looks at me, he sees the one uh, who sent me. So this, this, the next question is the whole issue of oneness, the Trinity, right? So this passage here, he starts, so he first says, okay, this issue of belief, he uses his word belief, but you've got to keep in mind, he says belief, and he says it to a bunch of first century Jews, and so I, because it seemed like Jesus seemed to understand that he didn't need to explain belief, because I, I, I'm pretty sure they got it. But for us, we have to ask ourselves, that's a loaded term. What, is that belief, what does that belief mean in Scripture? Secondly, the second question on the SAT, and I, a lot of our med students here, you guys know about tests. So the second question is oneness. What does the Bible, what is Jesus teaching as we've done John chapter 1 through 11 and chapter 12 and a little bit of, of 13? What is Jesus teaching about oneness? What does he teach about the Trinity? What would you, what would you say to somebody? You're sitting down, and they'll say, tell me about the Trinity from this book of John that I know you're studying. What would you say? Well, it seems that all throughout Scripture, you talk about Jesus, the oneness of Jesus and the Father. Now, people get this twist, especially um, in our neighborhood. And if, you, if you're talking with people enough, you'll see this. You'll see a, a concept called modalism. Okay, uh, modalism. What is that? That's, that's when you see Jesus. It's like, it's like there's God. And what he does, he's just, he's just he's just God, but he operates in these different modes. So, so God, you know, when he needs to be Jesus, he'll be Jesus. So God was like, okay, it's time to pay for the world's sin, so I'll be Jesus. I'm God. And but then, you know, then God will be another mode. He'll be the Holy Spirit, and then he'll be another mode. And so that's called modalism, and that's a default thinking in our world. And you hear people talk about. It. You hear people when they pray. Like we, 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 don't, we don't realize that the, the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity is as such. It's saying, the Bible is saying, now, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. We confess. But no one said the word Trinity is ever in the Bible. But the concept is truly all throughout Scripture. And that is the reality that the Bible teaches that there's one God, okay? There's one God in three persons, three distinct people, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Jesus, the Son, is not the Father. This is, what, this is what the Bible teaches, right? And the Father is not the Holy Spirit. That there are, de- there are three distinct persons, but each one is fully God. That you don't get more of God 
when you're dealing with the Father than when you're dealing with Jesus. You don't get less of God because you're dealing with the Holy Spirit. But that, that the Father is fully God, Jesus is fully God, and the Holy Spirit is fully God. Now, I know you start thinking about how did it all work, and you just want to, you know, you want to jump out of a window. I get it. It's crazy. But I want to suggest to you, and, I, and I've always said this, is when people think about this piece, they, they, we, we usually think about it and we try to figure out the Trinity, but always remember, family, the Bible teaches that we, as, a, as married couples, what do it say? It says one of the main things you do is you, you have an opportunity to model the Trinity, right? That's one of the reasons, that's one of the reasons why marriage exists. But also, that's one of the reasons why we as a church exist. Because there's something that, the, that God is trying to do when he allows unity and uncommon diversity to bring oneness. Okay, that's what he, so that's why, the, that's why the people of God also become his bride. Because, well, but it's like one bride. It's not like you know, millions of brides. It's one. Why? Because there's a sense of he wants us to understand not substance, but relationship. The reason why the Trinity is modeled by the marriage and also by the community of faith is because he wants to remind us. Why does he say we're one? I mean, Sarah's right there. We're not one, but we are. We're one, and in, in not in essence, but in relationship. You see that? And so a lot of times we're thinking Trinity and we're thinking well, I'm trying to understand the substance. But what God wants you to see is relationship. He wants you to see this big fireball of love. Okay. So, um, so, so, what, so turn with me real quick. I wanna, so what does this mean? And when he says this sense here, he says, uh, when a man believes in me, he does not believe in me, but the one who sent me. When he looks at me, he sees the one who sent me. Um, it reminds me pretty soon, we see in John 14, he says, you know, people say, you know, I think Thomas says, show me the Father. Uh, and he says, what do you mean, dude? Show me the Father. You know, haven't you? He's like, you're looking at me. Well, what does that mean? Well, he's not the Father, Eric, you just said. And this is the issue of image. What he's trying to help us understand when he talks about the oneness of God. And, and, and don't miss this, family, because this is huge for us as people. What God is doing through Jesus, he's saying, I want you to so get this. When you see Jesus, it's not that he looks like the Father, right? Like they both got the same eyebrows or something, right? It's, it's that when you see Jesus in his character, in what he does, in who he is, in how he acts, in what he says, in how he loves, in how he cares, in how he's sympathetic, in how he uses his power, in how he, he's humble. When you see all those aspects of Jesus, He's saying, I, I am so, I, when I do all those things, I am so in tune with the Father, you've just seen the Father. He's, that I, I, image, I image the Father so, so perfectly that when you see me, you see the Father. It's about image bearing. It's about bearing God's image. And in the same way, the reason why he does that is because it's reality, but he's also trying to model something for us. He said, but in the same way as me, as someone saying, show me the Father, someone can say to you and me, show me Jesus. And we don't go, well, I'm not Jesus. And 
No, but God says, you know what? I'm created in God's image. I'm an image bearer. And being filled with the Holy Spirit, what God has now given me the capacity to do and the power of the Holy Spirit is that I can love like Jesus. I can care like Jesus. I can be sympathetic like Jesus. I can be humble like Jesus. I can be sympathetic. I can... I can be Jesus in such a way when people see my kindness and how I care and how I serve and how I'm not and how you're not by the power of the Holy Spirit not self-centered, but you're other-centered that people see Jesus because you're bearing His image so well that they go, "Oh, that's what Jesus looks like." Do you see the concept of bearing God's image, the image bearer? That's one of the beauties of being born again is that he births us anew and says, you now get an opportunity to bear my image well. So, so um, on the SAT, someone to say, what does oneness mean? I hope we have a, a, a little better picture. The re- understanding how to explain the Trinity. What the Trinity says according to Scripture. What's, what, what, what does it mean? What's the point? Why is God doing that in John 17 right here to talk about the relationship component? Well, what does that mean for me? You know, I'm a dog. You know, I wanted to be on the street. Like, how does that apply? It applies to every aspect of our life. It applies. This is how it applies. Because just as the Father sent Jesus to show us the Father, which he did perfectly, Jesus sends us to show the world Jesus. So application, well, are you showing people Jesus? Right? That's not a burden. That's a joy. It's like, well, are, you, are people looking at you and going, wow, that's, how Je- that's what Jesus looks like? And, we, and we've all had glimpses of that, right? Right? I mean, I'm telling you, I always bring this up. I'm, I, I think one of those, my, my, my bachelor party just blew me away. Eric, you know, one of my, one of my best friends and... They threw me a bachelor party, and I had my unbeliever friends were there, and I had some believers there, right? And the, the people who didn't know God were blown away because they're watching these men just talking good about me. And, you know, I mean, without Jesus, like, dude, why are we going to get in a room and just talk about you? You know what I'm saying? Like, that's just kind of weird when you're just self-centered. Or is that just me? Like, before Jesus, I wasn't going in rooms and telling people how good they are and how cool they are and how much I love them and how they, how they pray and how they help me in my life. That, that wasn't me. It's totally self. Do y'all do that when y'all want a believer? Well, y'all, y'all deep. I mean, I just, I was kind of self- I mean, selfish. I'm still selfish now. By the whole power of the Holy Spirit, I can, you know, go, okay, Lord, I'm sorry, I need to repent. But that wasn't my normal mode. And obviously, it wasn't my friends, me and my friends' normal mode. And so they're watching these men just encourage me in my faith, encourage me in the man I am in God. They start praying for me. Homie's crying. Can you imagine? <laughs> People look, the brothers was like, what's, they're looking around. But you know what was cool? If they, saw, they saw Jesus. They saw, wow, this is just so, this is weird. This is so like, like it feels right. I wish someone would do this for me. But wow, this is kind of weird. It was unbelievable. And one of the guys actually came to Christ. Um, Mario now is a believer, which is really cool. So, so we, and, I, and think of your life. There's times in your life where you've seen God, God allowed you to be a clear image representation for Jesus. And there's times where we've marred Jesus horribly. And the trick of the enemy is for you to focus on the, on the horrible scenario. 
but you're a new creation. You trust the Holy Spirit. You say, man, yeah, that's all messed up. This is not a burden. Lord, thank you for buying me. Thank you that the accuser of the brethren can no longer accuse. And we continue to ask the Holy Spirit to teach us how to be good image bearers off of the glory of God. Oneness. The closeness of the Son and the Father. The issue is image. Um, so, yeah, what would you do there? Obviously, the application is mission. Here's another question. As you move down, that's verse 44 and 45. Look at 46, family. So then he says, so, so he started at 45. He says, he says, when he looks at me, he sees the one who sent me. We just talked about that. He goes on, verse 46. I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. So remember, you know, chapters and chapters of the same themes. That's why I bring these. I think it's unbelievable because all these themes you've heard us teach about over and over. I mean, you're like, if I see light and darkness again, I'm going to run out this room, you know, and yet there it is again, <laughs> because Jesus is trying to make a point here. So here's a big SAT. What would you say to people? What would we say? Tell me this whole, you know, to get you, get Frank in the Starbucks. Oh, Frank, man, what's this whole light and darkness motif? What would you say? Where would you take them? If you had the paper, what would you write down? It's been a lot of themes. We've talked about it for weeks and weeks, right? And this is good for us, right? Because what we don't want to do, can I confess to you? What, um, this is my confession to you, family, and, and this is sincere. I was talking to Sarah about it. And I thought I should do it. Every week, it is such, no, our heart desires to be an authentic body. You know, I, I love that about our crew. We want to be serious, honest about the Lord, where we are in our journey. And, 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 and every week, um, I, I try and like, have good norms in my home about making sure that I'm not that, that, I'm, that I'm able to, to be gospel-centered, um, where I'm not exalting, um, teaching. Um, and, and I struggle every week. Every week I struggle with um, this, this reality of, like, I don't want to perform for you, you know? Um, but, yeah, I, w- I want you to be equipped, and then you struggle with you don't want a performance. You want to grow. But then my struggle is, um, but I, but I, but I don't want to. I want to do well. Um, I want to. I want you to get it. I, I, I want you to be satisfied. And in my fear is that you won't be satisfied by just the truth. But you need a little song and dance, or you're gonna be like, well, that wasn't good enough. So my struggle every week is, okay, how do I be real and true? But I, I want. I want people to be satisfied. And then you struggle, if I can dare say, with you want to grow, but you kind of struggle with the performance. You want a performance, too. You know, if I don't bring it up here, you kind of like, well, yeah, today was all right. You know. I heard, some, I heard that before. It wasn't nothing deep. You know, it wasn't nothing new. You know. You know. And you go home, and the Holy Spirit's like, that was fine. Why are you doing that? You're like, well, I know, Lord. So, you, you know, you get your favorites, you, people you like to hear and all this. But, but, but utopia is supposed to be, I should be wanting to passionately present Jesus, and you should be desiring Jesus. And that's it. And it shouldn't be about who's up here, and who's giving the good analogies, and who's saying the coolest things, and who's making the coolest jokes. And insight, maybe it's biblical, maybe it's not. But it should be about pure, undeserved truth. 
And it's enjoying each other, praying for each other, crying together, and saying, here's what God says, clear as day, let's go out and follow the Holy Spirit and be honest about what he said. That's how it should be. Why can't we do that? I confess that to you. And I, I just, I'm just asking, I'm just asking you, I want to, can we give each other grace? Like, how, can we, can we try to build that ethos? Can we, can we do it? Can the Holy Spirit do that? Can he actually build a DNA where we really come in here and, and trust me, you know, we get our favorite singers and all that stuff and say, Lord, right now, I don't want to hear this dude. I repent. There's something about Christian maturity where Jesus is enough. Where you can say, wow, I would rather have this, but Jesus is enough. And, and I just long for our body to be like that. I long for us to say, you know what? It wasn't cool analogies, but it was, it was kind of, it was true. That's my confession to you guys. Um, yeah. So I say that because I think of this whole duality of light and darkness, and I'm going, man, John, I mean, what else can you say about the book of John? I mean, you said the same five things 40 times, you know. And the Lord is like, well, say it 40 times, you know. And I'm like, well, if people don't like that, he's like, I don't care. I called you to share the scriptures. So that's my confession. Pray about that for us as a body. I think the Lord will use it. I think he'll do something where we can train ourselves to be authentic. What do you say about do, uh, light and darkness? It, a couple things, if, you, if you've forgotten, so I'm trying to say, think about it yourself. If you've forgotten, remember about light and darkness. The first thing about light and darkness, remember we talked about darkness is our natural state. Notice how he says it there. I have come into the world as a light. So he comes as a light so that no one who believes in me should, what does he say? Stay in darkness. What's the assumption? You win in darkness, Right? We start in darkness. Every person starts in darkness. Okay, so, so someone wants to know the motif of light and darkness. Well, the first thing, bro, it seems like the Bible is saying that we all start in darkness. Right? That's what it, it seems like that's where we all start. Um, now, the story doesn't start there, but we as individuals start there. The story starts with God's love and him creating all things for his glory. But we start in darkness. What's the other thing? about light and darkness. It seems that in this passage, it seems what Christ's job is, is that he's a light and he came to deliver us from that darkness. Right? Now, remember we talked about light and darkness? We said, very interesting about light and darkness is that, um, like, darkness, you, you, can, you, can like, you, can, you can like the light or not like the light. So, so the light can, um, like, people... Either the light is exciting because it exposes them and now they're found, right? Remember we talked about this? So, so you're, you're, it's dark and in the light you're like, man, there it is. Like, here I am. And you want the light because you want to be found, right? If you're in a dark cave somewhere, right, I'm claustrophobic. You're in a dark cave or you're on some weird island with no grub. You're in this, in this storm and it's dark, right? You want to be found, right? So you're like, yeah, it's light. So that's one way, that's what light, that's a good way that light works, right? I mean, for, for, for me, and I think of, of, of even in the Christian realm, that's basically what it looks like for a believer. They're in dark and they want the light. But there's another thing that light does. It's funny to me that they can have two um, opposite um, reactions. People can have two opposite reactions. That 
Actually, what the light also does is it reveals darkness. So it can expose people who want to be exposed, but it can also expose people who don't want to be exposed. So like a light on the side of my house comes on when you are on the side of my house when you're not supposed to be. Right. And that brother don't want the light on him. Because now I see you. Right. So it's very interesting that you can that light can have two opposite purposes. Even in the realm of kingdom, it seems that there's a duality of light and darkness. And so the question we ask ourselves even that day, we ask when you think of, of where we are in this act, in this play of life, which one are we? Do we like light? Or does it expose us? Because Christ, his desire, his purpose, according to that verse, is to bring us to salvation. Look at verse 37, I mean 47. Next SAT question is an issue of judgment. He says, As for the person who hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I do not come, I did not come to judge the world, but to save it. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. Uh, that very word which I speak will condemn him at the last day. Um, he says, verse 49, For I did not speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. So there's some verses uh, that I want you to see. You can, you can write these down. But there's many verses that talks about how God judges. Um, so I think we're pretty clear on, on God judging. Um, but what's interesting is in this passage here, it, see, it seems like, so, so he says, I don't judge, but it seems like he's saying, you judge yourself. And, and I think it's uh, chapter 3, there's, there's sort of like a, a hint of this in, in John. What would you say about judgment? As we've, as we've looked over and over again, John 3, and I mean, we've seen judgment, the theme of judgment, this issue of that, that God is, is going to make all things perfect. And a lot of times now, don't get me wrong, I, judgment's kind of a weird, weird deal because you can feel like a weight. But if you're a believer, you shouldn't feel a weight. You should, it's a joyous time uh, because what, what judgment is, it's almost like, you know, when you go into a new, a new you know, um, Frank is a, a carpenter, you, you d- d- design and build a building, and they always have like a big red ribbon. You know, you see it on TV. I've never been to one, but I guess they have red ribbons and a big old piece of the big old scissors and they cut. They'll cut the ribbon and say, oh, OK, now we can enter into this new building. It seems that the Bible is teaching what the judgment, the judgment seat of God and what it is. is that It's almost like that big red ribbon It's like um, that's the that's the uh, the last stage before we enter into fullness uh, with Christ, uh, which is actually a good thing. But what I want what I don't want us to miss here is look how he says we're judged. It's almost like he says you're judged by the words. So, it's, so he's saying, like, the way you're judged is I've, I've been clear and you did what you wanted to do. Or you didn't do, you didn't do what I say. So it's not, so I, we have this picture, it seems as if, you know, and I, it just seems that the Bible is not teaching this where God, you're going to stand before God and then he's going to just be like, nah, 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 he's going to be beating you up kind of. Uh, it just seems like the Bible, is, is, it seems like it's deeper than that. It seems like we're going to stand before the Lord, and it's almost we we already know. You ever you ever you ever um, I mean, I, we got spanked when I was growing up. We got we got the beat down kind of. And um, you ever like knew your your parents ever do this? Like my parents are psychological crazy. I mean, they they were like 
they, I said, so you're going to get a spanking, right? So I knew, so I'll do something, I'm in trouble. And they said, you're going to get a spanking. And they make me wait. And they wouldn't just put it on me real quick. Like my, my mother come in from work, mm-hmm. And she'd go in and get, you know, get a little, you know, a little drink or something. And, you know, and then she'll, and she'll be saying little things too. Like, cause, you know, she maybe, maybe she got a call from somebody. And so now she's at work. When I get home, you know what's up, go get the belt kind of deal. Now, I'm just saying this was just a fact, so don't get all like, well, I don't spank, I do timeouts. This is just a fact what happened to me. So, so, um, so, and so I remember just, I mean, sitting around going, oh my goodness, you know, spank me, how hard is it going to be, you know? And, and it was like, I already knew what I had done, you know, and it was almost like the, the judgment had already happened. You know, like I already, like I was just like, oh man, this is, this is going to be horrible. And she was just, and it's almost like there's a sense of like he's saying, like his word has already, it, it judges a person. Like, like you're standing before the Holy One, and I don't think anybody's going to be surprised at what happens. I don't think anyone's going to go, not me? I, I'm not your child? I, I, I don't think it's going to happen. I don't, I don't, the Bible does not teach that. It seems that we're going to know very well who we are and whom we serve. And it's almost, that's what, it seems like the tense there when he says, I don't judge him for I did not come to judge the world. It says, there is a judge who rejects, um, one who rejects me and does not accept my words. It seems like the sense that the word of God, like what he's saying, that's what, that's where the judgment comes. Like, and what he's already put in play is, is the judgment. But, um, what I want to say here is it seems though that judgment, I want to encourage us that judgment isn't always like, oh man, this is horrible. It seems that it has a good influence. And not good influence as a sense of like, do this or this is going to happen to you. But it seems like the, these are the, 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 these are the, um, not the consequences, but these are the, this is what, this is the good stuff that comes from judgment. First is, um, judgment gives us, uh, we can have right perspective. And, and the reason why I say that is because, uh, I, it's funny, when we talk to people a lot of times, they talk about, well, what about the problem of evil? And, and it seems to me, we bring that question to Christians, which I think is, is hilarious. And I feel like it's a, it's, a, it's a layup for us because I am convinced that the Bible teaches we are the only people who have an answer for the problem of evil. We are the only ones. And why would I say that? We've talked about this before. Because we, th- uh, there's no other place where evil is dealt with. No other, no other philosophy, not to mention ours is true, but the thing is, when you think of the reality that any other philosophy or vain teaching, evil gets away with being evil. If you're an atheist, well, you know, nothing happens to Hitler. You know, he killed all those people and it is what it is. Uh, if you're agnostic, well, there's no payment for evil. It gets away. Think of any other, even, even, even karma, where you're recreated. Okay? You eventually become all good and one with the universe. But what about all the bad stuff? Who answers for the bad? The beauty of the cross in Jesus, our Lord, is that God is saying there is not one work that would not be answered for. And that every bad thing that's ever happened, every, every misprint, God says, I will repay all. And what's cool about that is that we can have right perspective is that God is in total control, that we have a good Lord who's in control of all things. And so his judgment is also good. Continue on. Um, we can forgive freely. This is something I've been working through a lot, even with my in-laws, is that if God, if God is just and he's the one who gives judgment, then why am I trying to be a judge? 
why am I trying to make my parent, my in-laws pay for whatever wrongdoing I perceive they've done? If I believe God is good, why can't I just rest and go, Lord, you see what happened. It's okay. See, I should be able to forgive freely because I know God sees it and is going to take care of it. Or at least I should believe that. Continue on. We can live righteously. The beauty of, of, of the judgment is that we have now been given the Holy Spirit. <laughs> because now God has now allowed us not to... See, here's the beauty of judgment. Believers, see, what's cool is... Now, don't get me wrong, there's two aspects to this. We are now long, no longer accused, and that encourages righteousness. Because what we have already gotten from God. Not, we, we, see, we're not righteous so that we can get something for God. We're righteous because we are the Lord's. He owns us. See the freedom in that? Now, there is a reality in Scripture that, that it seems that we're managers of his stuff. And there's, I don't know how he's going to do that, but there seems to be a sense of like, so if you're a believer and you sort of just lollygag through life and you, you, know, and you sort of just go for yours and you, kind of, and you love the Lord, but you didn't, you didn't really just say, Lord, I want to yield, it seems that there's going to be like, well, that we're going to pay, that there will be, there'll be like, we'll suffer loss. It seems the Bible teaches, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. You can write that down. But, it's, but the beautiful motivation is that we can live righteously now because of God. Any more? One more, I think. We can share the gospel. But the reality that God has already uh, made all things new, that he, that he uh, is doing his thing, and we know that he is going to judge, that people are entering. Do we ever think that people are going to spend eternity without the Lord? There should be a motivation to share our faith, family. Finally, the last SAT question is um, verse 50. He says, I know that uh, his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. Eternal life. Okay, eternal life. Let's just end here. What is eternal life? You know, we always talk about this term true life. True life. You have true life in Christ, right? We always say that. What is true life in Christ? Let's just put it out there right now. What is true life in Christ? Let's answer the question. Here's what true life in Christ is. It seems the Bible is teaching um, as we've looked at our, our 11 chapters in little 12 and little 13, that true life in Christ is what life was truly meant to be. <laughs> I know that looks like a tongue twister. But true life is what it was intended to be. So that's what the definition is. Here's what life was intended to be. Here's what God intended for life to be. That's what true life is, because God is the definer of what's true. And so to live life apart from what God intended it to be, is to live a fake life. So what is the life that God intended it to be for us? It seems two aspects. He desires for us to have eternal life. He desires for life to be eternal, not to be perishable, that, you, that we shouldn't be entering into perishing in a sense of the lake of fire, but he wants life to be eternal with him, Okay. And here's the one that we just, we got to always wrestle with family. And, and, and life was meant to be in Christ. That's true life. And the one thing I always have to ask myself, man, when I look at that in Scripture and I see that all throughout the Bible, is that enough? Is that enough? To live eternally in Christ. Surely there must be something more. Why? I want to proclaim to you 
that Christ, he wants us all to wrestle with the beauty that man, he is a treasure and that he is in love. That to, to know you're going to be living eternally, but not just living eternally, but with him. With Jesus is true life. I want to get you guys up here to sing, uh, play a song, and then we're going to um, enter to a time of, of, of tithe. But I want us to think about that. Because I tell you, one of the biggest things I struggle with in my walk with the Lord is coming to grips with the lie that the world gives us that Christianity is really about you hoarding and getting yours and satisfying all of your worldly desires in Christ. Did you, did you miss that? Hoarding, getting yours, and satisfying all your worldly desires in Christ. That seems to be what we have taught in evangelical circles. And that's not biblical. It seems that the Bible is having us wrestle with the reality, is Jesus enough? And that's hard. If you really go home and think about that, it's, it's just knowing God, not my profession, not the money I'm going to try to make, not the money I'm going to try to save, not my clothes, not my car, not my wife, not my kids. You know, not, whatever you think it is, we, we were just talking yesterday, we were, we were at this um, gun class, and we're just amazed at how you can have all of these, everybody's like, what? All of these, you can have all of these accessories in any aspect of life. Think of any aspect. Think of being a tennis player. Think of makeup. Think of golfing. Think of medical profession. Think of cars. Think of, you, you name anything, and I will show you, we're amazed at how it just, it just doesn't stop with just a tennis ball. Oh, now you got to get this kind of racket, and you got to get this kind of tennis ball, and you got to have this kind of shoe, and you got to, and these kind of, and you know, uh, we were talking about uh, hockey. Frank plays hockey. Man, you should hear, like, just to any aspect, performing arts. Talk about being an, uh, being an actor. Man, being, being a minister. All the books you're supposed to get, and all the Bible software, and all. It's like every aspect of life. You want to be a restaurant owner. You want to be a mechanical engineer. You name an area, young people, and the world will lie to you and say, if you don't have all this stuff, you're kind of missing the boat. You've got to accessorize with any area of your life. Name an area. I dare you to, to call an area right here, and we can tell you 15 things you need to have identity in that area. And then there's more. That's just if you're kind of serious. Why? Because the, the way the Lord, hallelujah, the way he's done things in our marred world is he's placed it where whatever you get, it won't be enough without him. You need another one of this. You need another girlfriend if you're a sex addict. You need another boyfriend. That is, is this not enough? And what's scared, what's sad to me in, my own, in all of our journeys is we, we were duped and we fall prey to it. Even though we come here every week and we remind ourselves, it's a fake life. Hey, family, can we ask the Holy Spirit to allow us to learn, to put us in situations and scenarios where Christ becomes enough? Moment by moment, day by day, where we can freely confess and experience God's forgiveness and say, okay, Lord, I know, not beat up, not burden, a joy. You're enough. Lord, I pray for that. I pray that you allow you, Jesus, not what you give or what you don't give, the miracles, all that stuff, but may you be enough for us 
Allow us to wrestle with that, holy God. Forgive us for placing all these things, all these accessories in place of you. Give us the, the joy of experiencing the gospel and knowing that you're pleased with us. And we don't need to add all this stuff. We just need you. We praise in Christ's name. Amen. Family, I want to ask you guys to, um, we're going to have tithe. If you're new here, please keep your wads and your